Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. The president ASSE 11s that the special counsel has conflicts of interest. In the days following the special counsel's appointment, the president repeatedly told advisors, including Priebus, Bannon, and McGahn, that special counsel Mueller had conflicts of interest. The president cited as conflicts that Mueller had interviewed for the FBI director position show 11 light years before being appointed as special counsel, that he had worked for a law firm that represented people affiliated with the president, and that Mueller had disputed certain fees relating to his membership in a Trump golf course in Northern Virginia. Everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who was taking donations from the NRA, shame on I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children were being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if you're going to figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. And here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and fighting our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world, but the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. And may God bless us. The president's advisors pushed back on his assertion of conflicts, telling the president they did not count as true conflicts. Bannon recalled telling the president that the purported conflicts were ridiculous and that none of them was real or could come close to justifying precluding Mueller from serving as special counsel. As for Mueller's interview for FBI director, Bannon recalled that the White House had invited Mueller to speak to the president to offer a perspective on the institution of the FBI. Bannon said that, although the White House thought about beseeching Mueller to become director again, he did not come in looking for the job. Bannon also told the president that the law firm position did not amount to a conflict in the legal community. And Bannon told the president that the golf course dispute did not rise to the level of a conflict and claiming one was ridiculous and petty. 
the president did not respond when Bannon pushed back on the stated conflicts of interest. On May 23, 2017, the Department of Justice announced that ethics officials had determined that the special counsel's prior law firm position did not bar his service, generating media reports that Mueller had been cleared to serve. McGahn recalled that around the same time, the president complained about the asserted conflicts and prodded McGahn to reach out to Rosenstein about the issue. McGahn said he responded that he could not make such a call and that the president should instead consult his personal lawyer because it was not a White House issue. Contemporaneous notes of a May 23, 2017 conversation between McGahn and the president reflect that McGahn told the president that he would not call Rosenstein and that he would suggest that the president not make such a call either. McGahn advised that the president could discuss the issue with his personal attorney but it would look like still trying to meddle in the investigation and knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. McGahn told the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey but his other contacts and calls, and his Askry, Flynn. By the time McGahn provided this advice to the president, there had been widespread reporting on the president's request for Comey's loyalty, which the president publicly denied, his request that Comey let Flynn go, which the president also denied, and the president's statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination of Comey had relieved great pressure related to Russia, which the president did not deny. On June 8, 2017, Comey testified before Congress about his interactions with the president before his termination, including the request for loyalty, the request that Comey let Flynn go, and the request that Comey lift the cloud over the presidency caused by the ongoing investigation. Comey's testimony led to a series of news reports about whether the president had obstructed justice. On June 9, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House counsel's office that investigators intended to interview intelligence community officials who had allegedly been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. On Monday, June 12, 2017, Christopher Ruddy, the chief executive of Newsmax Media and a longtime friend of the president's, met at the White House with Priebus and Bannon. Ruddy recalled that they told him the president was strongly considering firing the special counsel and that he would do so precipitously, without vetting the decision through administration officials. Ruddy asked Priebus if Ruddy could talk publicly about the discussion they had about the special counsel, and Priebus said he could. Priebus told Ruddy he hoped another blow-up like the one that followed the termination of Comey did not happen. Later that day, Ruddy stated in a televised interview that the president was considering perhaps terminating the special counsel based on purported conflicts of interest. Ruddy later told another news outlet that Trump is definitely considering terminating the special counsel and it's not something that's being dismissed. Ruddy's comments led to extensive coverage in the media that the president was considering firing the special counsel. White House officials were unhappy with that press coverage and Ruddy heard from friends that the president was upset with him. On June 13, 2017, Sanders asked the president for guidance on how to respond to press inquiries about the possible firing of the special counsel. The president dictated an answer, which Sanders delivered, saying that while the president has every right to fire the special counsel, he has no intention to do so. Also on June 13, 2017, the president's personal counsel contacted the special counsel's office and raised concerns about possible conflicts. 
The President's counsel cited Mueller's previous partnership in his law firm, his interview for the FBI director position, and an asserted personal relationship he had with Comey. That same day, Rosenstein had testified publicly before Congress and said he saw no evidence of good cause to terminate the special counsel, including for conflicts of interest. Two days later, on June 15, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the acting attorney general's office about the areas of concern raised by the president's counsel and told the president's counsel that their concerns had been communicated to Rosenstein so that the Department of Justice could take any appropriate action. The press reports that the president is being investigated for obstruction OFE justice and the president directs the White House counsel to have the special counsel removed. On the evening of June L4, 20 L7, the Washington Post published an article stating that the special counsel was investigating whether the president had attempted to obstruct justice. This was the first public report that the president himself was under investigation by the special counsel's office, and cable news networks quickly picked up on the report. The Post story stated that the special counsel was interviewing intelligence community leaders, including Coates and Rogers, about what the president had asked them to do in response to Comey's March 20, 20 L7 testimony, that the inquiry into obstruction marked a major turning point in the investigation, and that while Trump had received private assurances from then-FBI Director James B. Comey starting in January that he was not personally under investigation, officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. That evening, at approximately L03 LPM, the president called McGahn on McGahn's personal cell phone and they spoke for about L5 minutes. McGahn did not have a clear memory of the call but thought they might have discussed the stories reporting that the president was under investigation. Beginning early the next day, June 15, 2017, the president issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. He wrote, they made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof, so now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. Nice, you're witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history led by some very bad and conflicted people, and Crooked H destroyed phones with hammer, bleached emails, and had husband meet with Ag days before she was cleared and they talk about obstruction? This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. The next day, June 16, 2017, then-president wrote additional tweets criticizing the investigation, after seven months of investigations and committee hearings about my collusion with the Russians, nobody has been able to show any proof. Sad, and I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. Witch hunt. On Saturday, June 17, 2017, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. McGahn was at home and the president was at Camp David. In interviews with this office, McGahn recalled that the president called him at home twice and on both occasions directed him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller had conflicts that precluded him from serving as special counsel. On the first call, McGahn recalled that the president said something like, You gotta do this. You gotta call Rod. McGahn said he told the president that he would see what he cool DN do. McGahn was perturbed by the call and did not intend to act on the request. He and other advisors believed the asserted conflicts were silly and not real, and they had previously communicated that view to the president. McGahn also had made clear to the president that then White House counsel's office should not be involved in any effort to press the issue of conflicts. 
McGahn was concerned about having any role in asking the acting attorney general to fire the special counsel because he had grown up in the Reagan era and wanted to be more like Judge Robert Bork and not Saturday Night Massacre Bork. McGahn considered the president's request to be an inflection point and he wanted to hit the brakes. When the president called McGahn a second time to follow up on the order to call the Department of Justice, McGahn recalled that the president was more direct, saying something like, call Rod, tell Rod that Mueller has conflicts and can't be the special counsel. McGahn recalled the president telling him Mueller has to go and call me back when you do it. McGahn understood the president to be saying that the special counsel had to be removed by Rosenstein. To end the conversation with the president, McGahn left the president with the impression that McGahn would call Rosenstein. McGahn recalled that he had already said no to the president's request and he was worn down, so he just wanted to get off the phone. McGahn recalled feeling trapped because he did not plan to follow the president's directive but did not know what he would say the next time the president called. McGahn decided he had to resign. He called his personal lawyer and then called his chief of staff, Annie Donaldson, to inform her of his decision. He then drove to the office to pack his belongings and submit his resignation letter. Donaldson recalled that McGahn told her the president had called and demanded he contact the Department of Justice and that the president wanted him to do something that McGahn did not want to do. McGahn told Donaldson that the president had called at least twice and in one of the calls asked have you done it? McGahn did not tell Donaldson the specifics of the president's request because he was consciously trying not to involve her in the investigation, but Donaldson inferred that the president's directive was related to the Russia investigation. Donaldson prepared to resign along with McGahn. That evening, McGahn called both Priebus and Bannon and told them that he intended to resign. McGahn recalled that, after speaking with his attorney and given the nature of the president's request, he decided not to share details of the president's request with other White House staff. Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president had asked him to do crazy shit, but he thought McGahn did not tell him the specifics of the president's request because McGahn was trying to protect Priebus from what he did not need to know. Priebus and Bannon both urged McGahn not to quit, and McGahn ultimately returned to work that Monday and remained in his position. He had not told the president directly that he planned to resign, and when they next saw each other the president did not ask McGahn whether he had followed through with calling Rosenstein. Around the same time, Chris Christie recalled a telephone underscore call with the president in which the president asked what Christie thought about the president firing the special counsel. Christie advised against doing so because there was no substantive basis for the president to fire the special counsel, and because the president would lose support from Republicans in Congress if he did so. Analysis In analyzing the president's direction to McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive act as with the president's firing of Comey, the attempt to remove the special counsel would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from the inquiry. Even if the removal of the lead prosecutor would not prevent the investigation from continuing under a new appointee, a fact finder would need to consider whether the act had the potential to delay further action in the investigation, chill the actions of any replacement special counsel, or otherwise impede the investigation. A threshold question is whether the president in fact directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed. 
After news organizations reported that in June 2017 the president had ordered McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly disputed these accounts, and privately told McGahn that he had simply wanted McGahn to bring conflicts ofinterest to the Department of Justice's attention. See Volume 2, Section 2, I, Infra. Some of the president's specific language that McGahn recalled from the calls is consistent with that explanation. Substantial evidence, however, supports the conclusion that the president went further and in fact directed McGahn to call Rosenstein to have the special counsel removed. First, McGahn's clear recollection was that the president directed him to tell Rosenstein not only that conflicts existed but also that Mueller has to go. McGahn is a credible witness with no motive to lie or exaggerate given the position he held in the White House. McGahn spoke with the president twice and understood the directive the same way both times, making it unlikely that he misheard or misinterpreted the president's request. In response to that request, McGahn decided to quit because he did not want to participate in events that he described as akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. He called his lawyer, drove to the White House, packed up his office, prepared to submit a resignation letter with his chief offstaff, told Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy shit, and informed Priebus and Bannon that he was leaving. Those acts would be a highly unusual reaction to a request to convey information to the Department of Justice. Second, in the days before the calls to McGahn, the president, through his counsel, had already brought the asserted conflicts to the attention of the Department of Justice. Accordingly, the president had no reason to have McGahn call Rosenstein that weekend to raise conflicts issues that already had been raised. Third, the president's sense of urgency and repeated requests to McGahn to take immediate action on a weekend you gotta do this. You gotta call Rod. Sup Zero T McGahn's recollection that the president wanted the Department of Justice to take action to remove the special counsel. Had the president instead sought only to have the Department of Justice re-examine asserted conflicts to evaluate whether they posed an ethical bar, it would have been unnecessary to set the process in motion on a Saturday and to make repeated calls to McGahn. Finally, the president had discussed knocking out Mueller and raised conflicts of interest in a May 23, 2017 call with McGahn, reflecting that the president connected the conflicts to a plan to remove the special counsel. And in the days leading up to June 17, 2017, the president made clear to Priebus and Bannon, who then told Ruddy, that the president was considering terminating the special counsel. Also during this time period, the president reached out to Christie to get his thoughts on firing the special counsel. This evidence shows that the president was not just seeking an examination of whether conflicts existed but instead was looking to use asserted conflicts as a way to terminate the special counsel. Nexus to an official proceeding. To satisfy the proceeding requirement, it would be necessary to establish a nexus between the President's act of seeking to terminate the special counsel and a pending or foreseeable grand jury proceeding. Substantial evidence indicates that by June 17, 2017, the President knew his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor who could present any evidence of federal crimes to a grand jury. On May 23, 2017, McGahn explicitly warned the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey but his other contacts and calls, and his Askry, Flynn. By early June, it was widely reported in T.I.E. media that federal prosecutors had issued grand jury subpoenas in the Flynn inquiry and that the special counsel had taken over the Flynn investigation. 
On June 9, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House that investigators would be interviewing intelligence agency officials who allegedly had been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. On June 14, 2017, news outlets began reporting that the president was himself being investigated for obstruction of justice. Based on widespread reporting, the president knew that such an investigation could include his request for Comey's loyalty, his request that Comey let Flynn go, his outreach to Coates and Rogers, and his termination of Comey and statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination had relieved great pressure related to Russia. And on June 16, 2017, the day before he directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly acknowledged that his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor, tweeting, I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. C. Intent. This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. Substantial evidence indicates that the president's attempts to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct and, most immediately, to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice. Before the president terminated Comey, the president considered it critically important that he was not under investigation and that the public not erroneously think he was being investigated. As described in Volume T.I., Section T.I. D. Supra, advisors perceived the president, while he was drafting the Comey termination letter, to be concerned more than anything else about getting out that he was not personally under investigation. When the president learned of the appointment of the special counsel on May 17, 2017, he expressed further concern about the investigation, saying this is the end of my presidency. The president also faulted Sessions for recusing, saying you were supposed to protect me. On June 14, 2007, when the Washington Post reported that the special counsel was investigating the president for obstruction of justice, the president was facing what he had wanted to avoid, a criminal investigation into his own conduct that was the subject of widespread media attention. The evidence indicates that news of the obstruction investigation prompted the president to call McGahn and seek to have the special counsel removed. By mid-June, the Department of Justice had already cleared the special counsel's service and the president's advisors had told him that the claimed conflicts of interest were silly and did not provide a basis to remove the special counsel. On June 13, 2017, the acting attorney general testified before Congress that no good cause for removing the special counsel existed, and the president dictated a press statement to Sanders saying he had no intention of firing the special counsel. But the next day, the media reported that the president was under investigation for obstruction of justice and the special counsel was interviewing witnesses about events related to possible obstruction spurring the president to write critical tweets about the special counsel's investigation. The president called McGahn at home that night and then called him on Saturday from Camp David. The evidence accordingly indicates that news that an obstruction investigation had been opened as what led the president to call McGahn to have the special counsel terminated. There also is evidence that the president knew that he should not have made those calls to McGahn. The president made the calls to McGahn after McGahn had specifically told the president that the White House counsel's office and McGahn himself could not be involved in pressing conflicts claims and that the president should consult with his personal counsel IFHE wished to raise conflicts. Instead of relying on his personal counsel to submit the conflicts claims, the president sought to use his official powers to remove the special counsel. 
and after the media reported on the president's actions, he denied that he ever ordered McGahn to have the special counsel terminated and made repeated efforts to have McGahn deny the story, as discussed in Volume 2, Section 2. I. Infra. Those denials are contrary to the evidence and suggest the president's awareness that the direction to McGahn could be seen as improper. F. The president's efforts to curtail the special counsel investigation. Overview. Two days after the president directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president made another attempt to affect the course of the Russia investigation. On June 19, 2017, the president met one-on-one -on -one with Corey Lewandowski in the Oval Office and dictated a message to be delivered to Attorney General Sessions that would have had the effect off-limiting the Russia investigation to future election interference only. One month later, the president met again with Lewandowski and followed up on the request to have Sessions limit the scope of the Russia investigation. Lewandowski told the president the message would be delivered soon. Hours later, the president publicly criticized Sessions in an unplanned press interview, raising questions about Sessions's job security. 1. The president asks Corey Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions to curtail the special counsel investigation. On June 19, 2017, two days after the president directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president met one-on-one -on -one in the Oval Office with his former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. 603 underscore senior White House advisors described Lewandowski as a devotee of the president and said the relationship between the president and Lewandowski was close. During the June 19 meeting, Lewandowski recalled that, after some small talk, the president brought up sessions and criticized his recusal from the Russia investigation. The president told Lewandowski that Sessions was weak and that if the president had known about the likelihood of recusal in advance, he would not have appointed Sessions. The president then asked Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions and said write this down. This was the first time the president had asked Lewandowski to take dictation, and Lewandowski wrote as fast as possible to make sure he captured the content correctly. The president directed that Sessions should give a speech publicly announcing, I know that I recused myself from certain things having to do with specific areas. But our POTUS is being treated very unfairly. He shouldn't have a special prosecutor, Council B, C he hasn't done anything wrong. I was on the campaign with him for nine months, there were no Russians involved with him. I know it for a fact B, C I was there. He didn't do anything wrong except he ran the greatest campaign in American history. The dictated message went on to state that Sessions would meet with the special counsel to limit his jurisdiction to future election interference, now a group of people want to subvert the Constitution of the United States. T am going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. The president said that if Sessions delivered that statement he would be the most popular guy in the country. Lewandowski told the president he understood what the president wanted Sessions to do. Lewandowski wanted to pass the message to Sessions in person rather than over the phone. He did not want to meet at the Department of Justice because he did not want a public log of his visit and did not want Sessions to have an advantage over him by meeting on what Lewandowski described as Sessions's turf. Lewandowski called Sessions and arranged a meeting for the following evening at Lewandowski's office, but Sessions had to cancel due to a last-minute conflict. 
Shortly thereafter, Lewandowski left Washington, D.C., without having had an opportunity to meet with Sessions to convey the president's message. Lewandowski stored the notes in a safe at his home, which he stated was his standard procedure with sensitive items. 2. The president follows up with Lewandowski. Following his June meeting with the president, Lewandowski contacted Rick Dearborn, then a senior White House official, and asked if Dearborn could pass a message to Sessions. Dearborn agreed without knowing what the message was, and Lewandowski later confirmed that Dearborn would meet with Sessions for dinner in late July and could deliver the message then. Lewandowski recalled thinking that the president had asked him to pass the message because the president knew Lewandowski could be trusted, but Lewandowski believed Dearborn would be a better messenger because he had a long-standing relationship with Sessions and because Dearborn was in the government while Lewandowski was not. On July 19, 2017, the president again met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. In the preceding days, as described in Volume IT, Section ILG, Infra, Emails and Other Information about the June 9, 2016 meeting between several Russians and Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort had been publicly disclosed. In the July 19 meeting with Lewandowski, the president raised his previous request and asked if Lewandowski had talked to Sessions. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Lewandowski recalled that the president told him that if Sessions did not meet with him, Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired. Immediately following the meeting with the president, Lewandowski saw Dearborn in the anteroom outside the Oval Office and gave him a typewritten version of the message the president had dictated to be delivered to Sessions. Lewandowski told Dearborn that the notes were the message they had discussed, but Dearborn did not recall whether Lewandowski said the message was from the president. The message definitely raised an eyebrow for Dearborn, and he recalled not wanting to ask where it came from or think further about doing anything with it. Dearborn also said that being asked to serve as a messenger to Sessions made him uncomfortable. He recalled later telling Lewandowski that he had handled the situation, but he did not actually follow through with delivering the message to Sessions, and he did not keep a copy of the typewritten notes Lewandowski had given him. Have you discussed Mueller or his investigation with anyone at Kasowitz, Benson and Torres, the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, President Trump's personal lawyer? Have you discussed it with anyone? Would you talk to him? Be sure about your answers. I'm asking you a very direct question, yes or no. Yes or no? Sir, please answer the question. I'll ask again. I asked the question just a minute ago. I'm sorry you forgot. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh... Hey guys, you know what? America does not want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. I will repeat it. I will. Had he been clear. I would like to speak on the issue of race. I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. You also worked with them to oppose busing. And you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public school. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. 
I will also immediately put in place a meaningful process for reviewing the cases for asylum. I will release children from cages. I will get rid of the private detention centers. Uh, Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Yes or no? Yes or no, please. Seems you'd remember something like that and be able to tell us. So you're not denying that you've spoken with Well, I, I said I don't remember anything like that. Okay. I'll move on. Okay. Clearly you're not going to answer the question.